binoculars and we saw the buffalo and everybody cried like they're like yay because there's i found to 34 because you can see the little babies following their mommies so everybody cried because that was it was re- like that was just something we, we all wanted to see and um experience and to see like buffalo not in fenced in you know having the ability to be in a little in, in their herd and be there You're listening to Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm George Lee, my co-host is Jessica Vandenberg, and our guest is Glynis Buffalo. Hi, George. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Jessica. Wonderful to see you again. It's great to see you again, and we're here to chat a little bit more about um, this, this time's, this episode's podcast. Yes. And our guest is Glynis Buffalo. So if it's okay with you, uh, we'll go into a land acknowledgement and then uh, and then I'll lead things off talking a little bit about Glynis. It is always a great honor, George, to be asked to acknowledge the land we stand on and the peoples of this land. Currently, I'm situated on the traditional territory of Treaty 6, and we stand upon a land that carries the footsteps of and hearts of many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people that have been here for thousands of years and many generations. And I'd like to acknowledge our and their relationship to Mother Earth. It is an interconnected relationship as we're all relations and have an obligation to respect that this land has nourished and healed, protected and embraced us. And we are grateful to the Indigenous peoples that have been stewards of this interconnected relationship. We are all relations and as such, we all respect each other in our beliefs, but also our own individual relationships with Mother Earth. And so from my heart and spirit to yours and all those who are listening, I'd like to open up this podcast in a good way. I, I love your acknowledgement. It's very expansive. It's just a wonderful land acknowledgement. Someday maybe I'll be able to give one, but I want it to be authentic and I have no idea what I would say yet. So I don't want it to be fake, but at some point you're going to be able to say, George, could you give a land acknowledgement and I'll do it, but I'm not ready yet. I'm very excited for that day. (laughs) (laughs) Glynis Buffalo. She's uh, a planner and she's with the Planning College of Alberta. She's got all of this consultation experience. But for me, the thing that, that I love most about this podcast is just her energy and joy came through. So she's so, she celebrates her own foibles without embarrassment. She just, she just seems like one of those people who's just charging through life and, and really enjoying things. At least that's certainly the way she came across on the podcast. And uh, it really breaks down some of the stereotypes we have of individual individual Indigenous peoples. Her uniqueness came through for me in the interview. Yeah, Glennis definitely is someone who is just making her own path in the world, which is wonderful. And and I'm so glad that she agreed to come on the podcast. And although I'm talking about this joy, and there's a ton of fun in this in this conversation, there's also some pretty really important stuff in there too, not only about the consultation with Indigenous peoples, but also 
she she has some really interesting things to talk about of uh, about Masquachi's reserve during the times of COVID nineteen, which are really interesting. Of course, reserves have their own challenges, and 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 Indigenous nations generally have their own challenges based around COVID nineteen. So it was interesting to hear her perspective on that as well. For sure. And and one of the more recent partnerships that her and I have done with uh, several other people from the city of Edmonton um, was write an article actually for Canada Architect uh, magazine on the effects of of the COVID and pandemic on planners and engineers. What's it like to collaborate with with Glynis? Oh, it's it's wonderful. Like Glynis, um, she keeps things moving. She has the courage to just reach out to people and and say, "Hey, do you want to do you want to do this together?" And um, it's hard to turn down Glynis, <laughs> and yeah. she has great ideas. That's still a, a great like social drive, which is just beautiful because we need people who think quite consciously about the impact of decisions on society. So, what about this Buffalo Treaty story? What's that all about? Glennis's Buffalo Treaty story is just a, it's just a magical spiritual story. Like it, it's almost like, to me, almost like a fairy tale, hey? It's the story of the buffalo being reintroduced into the wild in Alberta, um, what it means to Indigenous people, what it means to this circle of Indigenous women, and how they went out to seek the buffalo for their own spiritual journey. And at each person's story, when they saw the buffalo, it was just so fascinating. And Glynis, of course, shared what effect it had to her, but it's it's just so beautiful and magical. I, I really, really loved hearing it. You're from the engineering side, her from the planning side, but consultation and collaboration in Indigenous communities and teams, that must uh, resonate with you quite a bit, I would imagine. It does, for sure. And definitely for a planner's um, work, as well as an engineer, we work for companies, we work for neighborhoods, we work for communities. And then working with communities, then you have to be very aware of EDI, the different demographics and the different groups and how to work um, so that you can bring everybody together to to create whatever project it is that you're working on. And Glennis is always, of course, uh, a champion for Indigenous peoples to say at the planning tables, well, what about the Indigenous perspective? What about those people in this community? She always gives me a lot to think about, especially when doing engineering projects, to think about that impact side and the consultation side and and how it's important to do more than just the duty to consult and and make sure that proper consultation is done in the way that the people want to receive it. You you used an initialism there, EDI. Sorry, that stands for? Oh, right. Uh, Equity, diversity, and inclusion. Another thing about the consultation and collaboration that, that really fascinated me is it sounds like within some of some of the, the larger companies, they're starting to be, I'm not going to say critical mass of Indigenous people, but there's entire di- Indigenous teams now. Like it's gone beyond where I think there was a time when Indigenous people showed up to be the Indigenous person looking after consultation in a company, and then they're just at an, in an empty office with nobody else around them and a bunch of settler people Thing. Okay, away you go. And she talks about being involved in teams of Indigenous people working on things. So if we're getting to that point, and I'm not suggesting we necessarily are, but, it, but that's really reassuring that that is starting to happen, or at least in the company she works for, that is happening. 
Yeah, for sure. And it, it is quite varied across the board for companies. Um, Glennis is fortunate in the company that she works in that she's not the sole Indigenous person. And I know the hard part with that, of course, is that then the idea is uh, this idea of tokenism comes up or putting the weight of all anything Indigenous related goes to the Indigenous person rather than working towards inclusion and equity. So I'm glad that Glennis does work with, uh, with several people um, of Indigenous nature. I am very glad for this podcast where we are building other people, allies and, and knowledgeable people within settler folks as well who can also then carry part of the load. You're listening to Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation, a podcast of ideas, solutions, and respectful conversations. I'm Jessica Vandenberg, and my co-host is George Lee. We're joined today by Glennis Buffalo. Glennis is a member of Samson Cree Nation and the Maswati area, and she has over 15 years of project experience with the public and private sector, and we're thrilled to have her here with us today. Thank you, Jessica. Um, thank you so much. So I guess a little bit about myself. I so happily, I have two kids, a very proud mother. My daughter's Kennedy. My son is Pierce. I got a Cree name this year. This wow, congratulations. That's great. Yes. And my Cree name in, well, in English is it's Morning Woman. And Esquayo is woman in Cree. And I'm still learning about morning. There's different ways, like saying early morning, the day after morning, um, just before morning is ending. Like, you know, there's just different ways to say it. So I'm actually still learning about that part of my journey. But I didn't mean to cut you off, Jessica. Sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> no, that's all right. And it's important that we pronounce and uh, say your Cree name properly. So can you say it in Cree for us? I'm trying to say, I'm still learning. Like, the my thing is, is I'm not where morning sits, I'm still, like, I guess it's my term, my journey, I'm still exploring that. So, like, it's, I mean, a squail is woman, but it's morning that I'm still working on. Like, I think that's just part of my journey. So, I don't have, like, the Cree in translation now, because I think I'm still, like, the creator still having me, like, figure out what does morning woman mean. <laughs> and that's true, and that's a journey in itself, for sure. And mm. Linda, uh, we're joined by George Lee. Hello, Glennis. <laughs> Hi, George. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Nice, nice to meet you. I have a quick question just based on what you just said. Yeah. And that is, so I hear, you know, often, you know, uh, Cree people getting Blackfoot names or Blackfoot people getting Cree names, Cree people getting Cree names. How does this happen? How did you get a Cree name? Like, it's interesting that um, I got it this year. Uh, you know, a lot of people get it. They're, they could be babies. They're kids. I guess part of, part of my journey is why did I take so long to get it? I think a lot of my, well, the, really this year, also my inspiration is the, the intent was also to get cleanings for my children. And I'm also still learning to say in Cree. My son's Cree name is um, Chief Rattleboy. So I really, yeah, it's his Cree name. Uh, my daughter's is Chief Mountain Girl. 
And so I'm learning to say them in Cree. And how I got it though, is there was a Sundance in my community this past summer. And so when we went, we brought our protocol, our tobacco, um, and we met with an elder there. Really like that's how it really came about. And I was something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And it was like inspiration for my sister. She said, I'm going, I really want a Cree name. She kind of told me what her plan was. And I just more or less followed her. <laughs> I just said, I'm coming too. And, um, and that's how I got my Cree name. And I like, like I said, like, I think I'm just, I'm on my journey of trying to figure out what it means. And like, you know, Chief Mountain Girl, I plan to take my daughter to Chief Mountain, you know, at some point. So right. that's sort of like, that was the way I got it. Like there's different ways of people doing it, but that's how like my, how it just happened this year. I find that is a common theme um, in chatting with people, whether they're settler or indigenous or not, is that everybody is on a journey and everybody mm-hmm. is finding their way. And often in the conversations we've had on this podcast so far, we talk well up with a few folks about identity, right? And a name is just one part of identity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, I really am looking forward to seeing what it hasn't like for all for me and my children, like what's coming. That's interesting, because that's what my question was going to be was what it what it means, what it means to you. So there's, there's mm-hmm. been part of, of getting your your Cree names for, for you and your children. But I guess you don't really know what it means to you until you experience it or as you experience it. Is that yeah. Yeah. Like, it's funny. Like, honestly, when I it's because when I heard, you know, my kids got their green names first, I was like, oh, wow, Chief Mountain Girl. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. My son, Chief Rattle, and then um, Chief Rattle Boy. Right. I'm like, oh, so cool. Right. And I was and then he said, morning woman. And I was like, morning woman, like, morning woman. What like, try to go like this? I'm like, and is there anything else? So like it, it was just kind of funny because I felt like I was like, why do I get the shortened name? And so you know what? Like that's what I'm I'm totally open to like seeing what this means to me. I was like, do I like mornings? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't even like waking up early. So yeah. I'm I really am like seeing what it opens up for me. And that's actually what went through my mind is, is which morning did, did you mean? Was it like morning, your morning, somebody who passed on? Or is it like good morning, morning? Or yes. Yeah, like good morning. And having conversations with people, they said, and because he was speaking in Cree, right? And I, and, and I, like, that was, I was really trying to like, listen. I'm like, okay, how is he pronouncing this? So I do need to go back and talk to him and like, see the he mean because there's there's early morning right like there's like there's just different ways you can say morning based on what the day looks like so that's yeah like that's what I'm exploring right now that's wonderful I think we're all exploring and and we're here to hear your story and listen a little bit more on your journey and and maybe mm. I'll, I'll just read through your um more formal um bio here um okay so we know that you have extensive experience in community planning and policy initiatives, um, and that's actually how we met, is in the planning and engineering realm. You've worked on things like First Nations community development plans and provincial regional plans, area structure plans, municipal development plans, strategic planning, municipal land use applications. Um, we know you have extensive experience as well, designing and facilit- facilitating Indigenous and stakeholder consultation and working mm-hmm. with industry for a variety of planning projects. You've managed numerous uh, municipal environmental impact assessments, 
And that, of course, supports urban land development applications for large and small infrastructure and recreational development projects. And you strongly believe in the immersion of Indigenous culture and the work that you do um, in, in all yes. of your life, right? And that uh, yes. Exactly. And that thoughtful and meaningful engagement leads to positive outcomes for everybody, both Indigenous people as well as settler people to, mm -hmm. um, to better understand the Indigenous journey. And I know yes. as well, you hold a number of board and council positions and you're on your second term um, as a counselor and professional registered um, professional planner with the Alberta mm -hmm. Professional Planning Institute. And you're a registered member of the Canada Institute of Planners. Yes, I am. And how to say, first First Nations woman to get my registered professional planner and that's wonderful this is great like there's so many people just blazing trails and and you're one of of many strong women um indigenous women making this journey i've actually started i went on my first hunting trip um with my husband <laughs> um and it, it also, I mean, and it wasn't because of COVID, but like it was because, you know, there's a lot of places I probably would have went other than these. So anyway, important to take us, take me and the kids. And so we actually, during the long weekend, um, he, like we went hunting and he, you know, he, he has, he like, he's a hunter, my husband's a hunter. And that was the first time that I was like, I should go with him. And took the kids. We really enjoyed it. We're actually going to be going back again. Um, and so my husband's from Red Present, First Nation in Saskatchewan, in not are in North Battleford. Also, what I know I'm now really getting to know is like really learning about hunting. Um, and um, definitely enjoy hiking. Um, I just came back from a really spiritual hiking trip that I can talk about later with you. Um, and um, oh, and running. I'm uh, I I like to run. <laughs> <laughs> so it's odd like I guess thing but I do enjoy running keeps me sane <laughs> so nice. it's very important for me to share because that's just my passion is running as well You're listening to Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm Jessica Vandenberg, my co-host is George Lee, and our guest is Glynis Buffalo. This uh, COVID-19, socially distanced, and, and frankly, sometimes polarizing world we find ourselves in now. Um, mm -hmm. Is there something else about your journey that you'd like to, any challenges or... Uh, or revelations that, that came to you during during these however many number of months it is? Like, I guess it's more of how did I get through the challenge of seeing my daughter struggle, like in school, right? Because they had to leave school in March. And it wasn't even seeing her struggle. It was our struggle. You know, like at home, I'm working. And then at the same time, you know, like she's learning a whole new world of learning virtually now right and yeah, yeah. it's really embraceive like I, I I was so like amazed how she totally embraced virtual learning and I see her talk to her classmates and she was so excited on google chat she learned how to set it up herself like I walked her through the first time you know like she figured it out and then one time when I was working uh I said oh I, I better go check on Kennedy 
And here she was on her phone. And I was like, Kennedy, aren't you on, aren't you supposed to have a Google chat? And she was like, mommy, I did. She downloaded it, figured it out, had to do it on her phone, talk to her class. So I just feel like how she embraced, um, like just learning virtually, like really actually like it got me thinking, you know, I'd call people that just seemed interesting on LinkedIn and I would just make a virtual coffee date, complete strangers. And I would say, Hey, do you want to meet? Just you're, you sound really interesting. I know it's corny. Is that nice. yeah. Um, but people were super receptive and I met, um, like I met a really amazing, um, like new mentors now. And that's what I think I appreciate about COVID is, is that it made me reconnect with people. And I was happy to hear people just say, yeah, like, let's chat. Is even though it physically separated people, for me, it really actually brought me closer to a lot of people because I really had the energy to call them. You know how awkward before, you know, you would never FaceTime, like I wouldn't FaceTime Jessica and talk to her, right? It's all about text. Can you talk? But I would FaceTime people and people were super receptive. (laughs) So I appreciate about COVID. You you learn some things about yourself uh, and about your and about your your kids about how resilient and how 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 uh, how kids can adapt and how adaptable yes. kids are, and they kind of mm-hmm. reverse mentored you in a little bit of in a little ways yes. too because you you became more adaptive to what was going. Or you adapted to the situation as well. Yeah, I mean, there were good things. Yeah. She role modeled for me basically, right? Like yeah. I was watching her doing her thing, and I was like, well, geez, I. Well, I'm going to do this. And so, yeah, she just role modeled for me to like embrace it. Can you tell us a little bit um, how things are going at your home community? Are they also, how are they adjusting to COVID? And are there any things um, that you've observed that's, that you want to share with us? Um, so right now, like initially when it started, of course it was panic, right? It was panic mode with everybody. Um, you know, everybody not knowing the side effects, like, hearing people are getting extremely sick in hospital versus people who are just not even having symptoms. Right. And then, um, worrying about your kids. So of course those were in my squid cheese, like immediately every, it seems like all the indigenous groups basically closed their doors. Right. Like they completely just said no visitors that even included me as a Muscogee's resident, but I mean, as a Muscogee's member, but I don't live there. So, right, like, so there was time, like, there was a short period um, where, like, I couldn't even drive to Muscogee's. And then you're like, oh, like, what's going on? When am I going to see my sisters? And it's, you know, it seemed like, of course, after everybody started to get more out of that panic mode, you know, the, the whole tissue, everybody went crazy over tissue. Slowly, you know, like, people on Facebook, I would see, like, what, like, how is it impacting Muscogee's? And I noticed people were, like, really looking at food security. Like, I really appreciated how COVID basically brought out the importance of food security. And in Muscogee's, that was an immediate discussion, right? Like, how do we, in our own nation, prepare our own food so we're not so reliant? So, like, I, I appreciated that about it. I felt like people, like, were really sharing positive stories. You know, like, they were, like, they were also... Um, connecting with family. Uh, and I mean, I know there's other people who weren't having that experience, um, but that's what I found. And, you know, like I appreciated the um, importance of a protecting our elders, right? Like there is a campaign right away um, in Muscogee's 
um, about protecting elders because of COVID. And like, so it just like, it seemed to like heighten those things we were already talking about for years. But for whatever reason, coronavirus was the reason why it became important. So it was just interesting to see how the issues that it was bringing out obviously were relevant. And this is what the new council, chiefing council also want to look at. And of course, back to school, right? Like with everybody sending kids back to school. Um, you know, my sister, she actually was still struggling to even send her kids to school. I've made the decision to send my, my daughter's the kid to school uh, in person. And she was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, I just can't do it. So, so that, that's right now is, I mean, on everybody's mind. I'm grateful for what you said of how much that you appreciate has, that has bubbled to the surface what, of what is important to communities. And I even know, having watched social media and things like that, I've seen elders take to social media and share teachings on social yes. media and there's the, the larger North American social um, powwows and the TikTok mm. dances and all of this is, is kind of taken off. I, it surprised me at first because I know for a lot of the elders that I've talked to, they were very stringent on it's in-person face-to-face teachings right. in, in the right time. And, and then I was very surprised to see some of the stuff go up on YouTube and, and the teachings be a lot more um, public facing. I think it's an interesting opportunity for folks to continue their learnings when they can't be with the elders for risk of their health and things like that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like, that's a really good point. What was one of the side effects of that was, uh, was a greater understanding of, uh, of indigenous communities to the greater or the, the larger community, the community of settlers and others and the world community. For sure. I mean, and I guess vice versa, right? Like we're, all taken in they're just virtual presentations you know everywhere all over the place I was clicking on everything I'm like hey this looks good it's free <laughs> so I I was taking in whatever I could but I yes definitely a good spinoff it's nice that there was um like a free platform I mean you know of course considering all the factors people are going through but our free platform for us to um, like indigenous people to share you know who we are and what's share what's important yeah and your and your comment about people having concerns to share this publicly i think that's going to be interesting as we still keep on COVID, like how that evolves mm-hmm. Listening to Unsettled Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm George Lee. My co-host is Jessica Vandenberg, and our guest is Glynis Buffalo. wondering about if you could talk a little bit about uh about the the progress of your profession in terms of consultation uh, especially as it relates to indigenous peoples you know i worked at one you know a job where there was no involvement um very few with indigenous people and of course you know when i'm growing in my career like 
also learning my voice, right? Like in feeling more comfortable to look at this and then, you know, move into another job where that is my role is to do consultation First Nations. It's interesting because when I, when I moved to this position, that was the first time I actually was in a team with another First Nations person. In my entire career, I was just always the only in, like First Nation person. And then, so when I entered this job, you know, my team, we were all First Nations women. First time in my life. Like, wow. And I was only a couple years ago, right? Like, I was like, wow, I'm like, geez, I've never had a First Nation boss. This is so interesting. Um, but I feel like when I got into that position, because of the way, like, because we were three First Nation women, I got to learn from their, you know, their perspective on consultation, right? And then, um, you know, we would have projects and, you know, like we would, our, our really goal, like this is a, in terms of progress is that, of course, every time you work on a project, you learn something new, you know, like you take your experience, you know, you're, you see how you can improve it to your next project. So I learned a lot from my team in terms of um, like, this is how you, how we in our job, you know, we're working, we're supporting teams who are doing consultation First Nations. They're teaching me, this is how we do it. Like, this is the, like, this is the way we implement policies on consultation with First Nations. You know, this is how we do it right. So like, that was one of the things that was really important for me and that I was really gaining is learning about First Nations consultation from a First Nations person. So I think, so I think like in terms of like your question, I know that my progress, I didn't start to really see it until I was in that space to learn from, you know, from, from a First Nations person on this and get their perspective. I also had the opportunity in that previous job to work with many First Nations. So I had 13 First Nations as my teacher to say, Glynis, like if, you, if you're going to consult with us, this is how you're going to do it, right? So I'm also learning... These are the teachings. I always thought that government taught me this and this and this. And then it finally like dawned on me that it wasn't, they like that wasn't my teacher. It was my 13 First Nations who were teaching me, this is how you do your job, Glennis, right? And, and then of course with my team, right? And having like a really good sounding board to like think about ideas. And like, that's what actually prepared me. Um, like I know, you know, historically like uh, First Nations, they weren't, invited to take meetings you know we know there's a history of that a municipal plan like it just they didn't have to send the, to a first nation or or metis settlement you know like what's your thoughts on this like it was just not even like i even remember like working my first year as a like when i first started my career in year one so 15 years ago working on municipal plans like see like i it didn't even dawn on me for me to think about oh so i wonder what first nations think about this because I just wasn't even being trained to think that way. This was the boundary. This is the municipal boundary. And this is what we're working in. So see, like, I, I get like, what, I guess the point I'm, I'm getting to is that it was the way, um, like, it was how I was trained by the, like, the each, in each occupation I took. And then so, and like, that's what, I guess, built my lens um, about First Nations consultation and best practices. Um, what kind of, what are some of those best practices when it comes to consulting with First Nations? If I'm going to say top, like top three things to remember, you know, when they say relationship, people always say relationships so important. 
relationship is so important that it's not just about like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my job, you know, I get a task, I'm going to call, get it done. Relationship is also about like the ongoing relationship with that person. Like, you know, even though I mean, like, you know, any past projects, like I used to work with government, I'm still very much in touch with a lot of the people at like the nations I worked with, right? Like that wasn't just, it stopped there. Um, so, and then when I say immersion in Indigenous culture, no matter where I, like, I go, I always press this with my workplace, my colleagues, uh, like anybody I'm working with, other Indigenous people, is that you need to immerse yourself in the culture with who you're, like, um, collaborating with, right? Like, you know, if you have a project with a First Nation, even though it might be a, but a specific, you know, community plan, but when I say immersion, like you also need to immerse yourself in, in, their, in their culture, like in their knowledge. You need to learn about who they are. And that's what I, like I, in terms of consultation, and like it's not just about like recording notes and making sure that it's all been documented. Like that is something you need to do. For me, consultation, I think a lot of people have um, a negative um, feeling towards that word. But for me, you know, like I, I embrace the new relationships that I'm gaining out of it. And this is what I'm always trying to share in my workplace, right? Like consultation is, it's a whole new journey that a person is going to be, has the privilege to learn about. For me, that's how like why I, um, consultation is so important, why I look forward to it, because I know it's going to influence me in some way. And I guess the last thing I would say um, about it is that when you're learning about traditional knowledge, really super important to always be respectful of the like what's being given to you. And that's about honoring the person, honoring the knowledge, right? Like sometimes I, you know, I realize that I'm sitting with a, a you know, with people whose ancestors signed treaty. Like for me, I mean, I'm um, an ancestor, you know, my, um, um, on my dad's side, I'm a direct descendant, you know, of a signatory of Treaty 6, right? And that's super important for me. So when I'm immersed in that type of knowledge, like this is what I think about. I don't think about like, oh, it's going to be tough. Um, people are going to be upset. And if people are upset, I always take it as a learning opportunity Everybody's on their own journey of the way, um, you know, we were raised. Their parents might have been in residential school. Like, you know, so I, th those are things that I can, like, I think about. And so in consultation, that's what I'm always trying to share with people. Um, like if there's a teaching moment, um, definitely use that to share with them and share with my, my um, you know, like my colleagues and to look at consultation that way rather than as a, a negative thing that just needs to be done. Got it. So it's a long lasting thing. And I guess the other thing that ties directly to that, or two things that come to mind is um, the Indigenous relationship with the land is so important for, for who the people you're dealing with or you're working with, who they are. And they're going to be living with the consequences of these decisions after you've moved on to other projects. In some cases, they're, leave, they're, mm -hmm. leaving, they're living with this and the idea, George, as well, is that it's not just 
a relationship with the land, but also with water and air and animals, mm-hmm. and plants. And like what, what you said, Glennis, really resonated with me because I know when I joined Urban Systems, um, that's when I got more involved with First Nation and Métis Settlement and Métis mm-hmm. Nation infrastructure projects. And part of that is consultation and engagement. And I was mm-hmm. actually involved in those portions of it. And I agree with you. A lot of my teachings came right from the nations themselves who said, how do you approach and how do we handle this? And um, don't forget about protocol. I'm thankful for the adopted family I grew up in because this idea of respect, you sit, somebody offers you dinner, you you help set the table, you clean mm-hmm. up afterwards. Like all this stuff is built into who I am. And it aligns a lot with, I find, the First Nations value system. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Uh, amount of value. But I agree with you that that it's so important to be so respectful of the the journeys that they the nations have gone through mm-hmm. because it's not common knowledge, even though we as indigenous people are everywhere and are related and, and we're everywhere. Everyone's cousins, right? And everyone mm-hmm. is, is we're all relations, right? Yet the stories are largely unheard of um, and unheard. And so I think it's great that you remind your colleagues of that when they're doing consultation with with folks of Indigenous communities. And I mean, like, it's important to have that safe workspace, right, to be able to do that. It's really positive that uh, that that larger organizations actually have this kind of culture growing within them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's spectacular. They're not easy journeys, though, as, as you and I, Glennis. I know we've talked on that before, sometimes being the only one. You do need the allies in there. You need the people who are empathetic. Um, and there are, there are people who may not always appreciate what supports are needed for Indigenous staff, nonetheless, for proper Indigenous consultation, the amount of time, spending time with somebody um, but with the elders, with chief and council, like that's such an important piece of it. But mm-hmm. it's a, it moves at a different time scale than the speed of business. Who who want it done yesterday so you can get through the regulatory process and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, like having conversations to say we really need to incorporate time for um, you know if we're gonna you know we're collaborating. I that kind of I I like to say collaborating. I don't really like saying working with First Nations because I feel like again like that has like a a boundary, like an expiry, but when we're collaborating is to really also offer those opportunities for the nations to like educate us, right? Like if put that time in so we can attend, um, you know, like, so we're, we're able to learn about whatever governance, what about traditional knowledge, like what they want to share with us. Like, I'm always trying to make sure that we we think about that and we make time for that in our in work and like work that we're doing. You're listening to Unsettled Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm Jessica Vandenberg, my co-host is George Lee, and our guest is Glennis Buffalo. Does anything stick out to you, both the outcomes of the consultation and personally with you, with what you what you learned through the experience or are continuing to learn through the experience? 
in one of the projects that I do work on, it's, um, you know, it is a reclamation project um, that I'm working on. The old Glennis would have been like, ah, this is like, this is not, um, you know, it's technical. It's, it's um, something that I'm not interested, but it's totally like what I've learned from this project is, and what I appreciate is that we're always, we are, we're always working with um, um, the community and it's interesting when like, you know, your day to day, you're working with personnel, they're like, they're doing the reclamation, they're doing radiation. It is technical, but it's always interesting when um, we have those aha moments. Like when, I mean, like with the group to say this, we constantly remind them that we're working with the community, you know, and at the end of the day, it's the community who's going to be like the, it is our Muscogee's land. And what we are going to be creating on it is um, like they're the ones who are going to be uh, like they're going to live it like they live it every right now. So it was interesting working what talking with my colleague and talking about um, our elders. Uh, I was telling them about our inter- elder interview we did and it was just so amazing to hear about Pigeon Lake and the history. And I and I was telling them you know we we were doing um, historical awareness training which is on hold because of COVID. And we're do we're working with the community on, um, you know, our newsletter. It has Cree, right? Like we're putting in things as much as we can. And I was interested in what he said, Glennis. You know what I like? I really appreciate about this day is that he said, like you're told. I only think about technical stuff because that's what his role is, right? And he said, but hearing you talk about how important it is that we keep engaging the community, um, he said, like I, I didn't see it that way before. He just never like he, that's just something he just was not thinking about is is the um, importance to the community. Um, so I'm just bringing that up because I, it's important for people to be open minded, you know, be open minded about stuff you're immersed in, the learnings that you're getting. Because like again, like, like I said, the like the the old Glennis was like boring. This is not for me. Like. Not that it was like technical, too technical for me. I mean, I understand it, but I like I just thought there it was not connected to the community. So as and I started to really like it's so close to the community, and that's been really um important. And I'm really like I totally enjoy working on this and just seeing the outcomes on it. It's uh, I just like people to be open minded about stuff. Like you really need to be open-minded. Like don't take things as if it's um, a difficult situation. There's always something a learning from it. Listening to Unsettled Journeys in Truth and Conciliation, a podcast of stories, hope, insights, and ideas. I'm George Lee. My co-host is Jessica Vandenberg. And maybe we should um, switch gears a little bit and talk about the Buffalo Treaty Project. Um, um so. The Buffalo Treaty, this is an international agreement um, signed with tribes in the U.S., uh, nations in Canada. The, like, the intent is to bring back the buffalo. 
to North America, right? So people can see Buffalo um, be free. Of course, that's going to take time and a big project that was that is so grateful happened is the um, in Banff National Park, right? When they brought in um, bi- bison from uh, Elk Island National Park. Um, they flew them in Well, they brought them in on, um, you know, trucks, they drove them in, but it's such an interesting story is that when they got to base camp, like it reminds me of Jurassic Park, they had huge cranes literally in the, um, what do you call those? Like a, like a train caboose, um, sea can? Is that right? Like a corral, yeah, or a sea can, yeah. Okay, so it's like, I was not there, but like I follow this, um, Reminds me of Jurassic Park. They literally picked up these sea cans with buffalo, brought them to the, the air, like the in in the park to where they're going to have their babies. So like the so that's so that was one of the implementation of the Buffalo Treaty. It's about like the culture. What is the what does the buffalo mean to us? Um, education. What are we What are we doing about educating our people to survive, right, and thrive? So there's so much that like it looks at government governance. And so there's so much teachings from the Buffalo. And this is what the Buffalo Treaty is looking at. Like, how do we implement these here? So one of those was like, so they, with the park, I'm bringing it in. And so last year I had the opportunity, privilege to go on. I met with um, eight ladies, three of them I knew, um, like just acquaintances. So it's not like we knew each other well. And then the other one, the leader, it just is, is funny because I was at a conference uh, in, uh, in Blood Tribe, hosted by Blood Tribe, the um, Kainai Ecosystem Protection Summit, KIPA. And so I went there. I just happened to have lunch, sat at the same table. We were talking, just introducing ourselves. And she was like, yeah, I want to take a trip with like, other women and go hiking and see Buffalo. And she was like, do you want to come? And I'm like, um sure so like it was just really out of the blue right like we literally just met those and and uh, I was like okay <laughs> so I was like yeah sure I'll come um and um so I'm so that was in 2000 in 2017 we were gonna go but then the next year so we planned on going but that's when the baby calves were just born so the park made a decision they didn't want any human interference so they had to cancel the trip I was so sad because I was really looking forward to it. Uh, so that was so that was 2018, where we were supposed to go to 18, got canceled. So then in 2019, I was thinking about the trip and I was like, geez, I wonder what's going on. So the January, I just sent an email. Like, it was funny. The last email I got from the group was saying, I'm so sorry, we have to cancel it, right? In June, and I was just so sad. I was like, oh, I was so looking forward. And of course, for good reasons, it was canceled. I literally replied to that same email from six months ago. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm just wondering if you guys have thought about this. Should we like, is, is it a go? And like, they were like, yeah, let's do it. So again, we started planning. So that was January. And then it took us to June. And then so in end of June, I went on a trip uh, with um, the eight, eight other ladies. So we hiked like at least 65 kilometers, I would say. Like it took two over two nights to get to this camp. Uh, so we got there. I was terrified of bears. I'd really terrified. So over, so over two nights, we got there. We hiked the fourth day. 
And by the fourth day, we were all kind of getting sad, like, oh, how come we haven't seen the buffalo yet? Because we did go on a day hike and we got lost. We took the wrong turn on the map. Um, so we didn't see them. The next day we went and it was just kind of funny. And because of like because of the baby calves, like they had a strict policy about just like I think it was 200 meters or something like that, that you had to be at like within your trail. So we're like, okay, well, I, you know, that'll take us if we go to that hill, that it will be within it. So we go walk, we get to this top of this, 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 um, you know, top of a, a pass. So we're like thinking, and then also we were thinking about having lunch down there and we're like, no, let's go just have lunch up there. So we're like, okay, we got there and we, so she's looking through the binoculars. We saw the buffalo and everybody cried. Like they're like, yay. Cause there was, I found to 34 cause you can see the little babies following their mommies. So everybody cried because that was, it was re- like, that was just something we, we all wanted to see and um, experience and to see like Buffalo not in fenced in, you know, having the ability to be in a little in, in their herd and be there. Really exciting. We saw, we saw the Buffalo and, and it was funny because it was literally only 10 minutes that they were on this ridge and we, and you had to look through binoculars. So they're on a ridge and they were there for 10 minutes we're watching everybody's crying like leaving tobacco and they went past the like the ridge and we just never saw them again like they were done so it's funny because if we had lunch down the hill we would have missed this right so it literally just worked out and it was funny because they were all guessing the distance they're like no way that's three kilometers away no way it's like two and everybody's like no it can't be more than four and I was like I think it's like five kilometers and you know one of them girls laughed she's like Glennis is not five kilometers that's too far away I was like no I think it's five kilometers so we're like so we so we went down we honored um you know what we saw uh to see this and then when we got back to our base camp we talked about it so we talked about our experience and I was really curious about the distance. So I was like, what's the distance? What's the distance? So she's like, yeah, let's check. So she brings out the map, you know, because she had like an elevation map. And so she can calculate. And she's like, it's 4.8 kilometers. Yay! I was like, I told you guys. I told you. I told you this is five. And they're like, okay, you're, you're close, Glennis. And, and, but you know why I knew that is because, remember how I said my husband is a hunter? Like he would show me his gun, a scope. Like, and he would me distances, you know, in case I ever get lost, which <laughs> I don't ever do that. But, you know, in case I... On that trip. <laughs> yes, I know. So if I have to judge how far I need to walk, he would show me, right? So that's how I knew it was, like, that far away. And plus, because I run. So I, I have a... I can generally tell what feels like five kilometers. So I was really proud of that, you know. That was me, like, you know, being super... <laughs> like reading the land um, I was proud of that so that was um in 2019 and so the next day we planned to go back and see it rained all day we had to actually call that day because it was just too unsafe to like walk um in that rain um even up like the like the ridge that we would have had to gone up so we were sad because we knew that the next day that Friday we had to start returning back to camp so like that was our our 10 minutes that whole week of being out with the bears and bears scat everywhere we were like they get like yeah they honored us with 10 
10 minutes of um, like their present. Well, yeah, like to see them. So that was in 2000. Um, so last year, 2019, I actually just got back from another trip this year, two weeks ago. Yeah. So I just got back. So I'm still like thinking about everything that's happened. Um, it was an interesting trip. Uh, there was new women on the trip. Some of what some of us were the same. And in the end, I actually didn't get to see the Buffalo because when the day that we decided to like how we had to, you know, get there, stay a couple nights to get to, into the where we had to get that by that day, one of the ladies was just too physically like too hard for her. Like it was just too much on her body. Like she, she was dehydrated from the day before of all that work, you know, like it was um, not drinking enough water. So the organizer, she said, Hey, does, can anybody volunteer to take like to walk back? And I had no, like no regrets. I just said me, I'll do it. Right. Like if the creator needs me somewhere else, and I like it. And, and, and plus like, you know, they, you know, they said, we can also try to come back tomorrow. Um, I said, okay. I also faced my fear of bears. Cause by that third day, I would like, you guys should have saw me the first two nights. I would hear like, uh, like this, <laughs> I'd be like, Oh my God, and my heart's beating. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to die tonight. I'm waking up my partner. Cause we share tents. Cause I'm like, Hey, did you hear something? I think there's a bear out there. <laughs> I'm like that terrified. I I don't. I was anxiety of bears, and we also saw a bear. Actually, we just left our trip when we just started getting out there. I saw we saw a bear cross our path. So by the time that day came, I was kind of over my fear, right? Like I knew those all those sounds at night were people snoring. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> <laughs> all those sounds were people snoring I just thought it was like um, like something was I honestly thought there was something out there I'd be like oh my god it's outside it's outside so by that time I was over my fear of the bears I guess so when she asked can somebody volunteer um when she asked I had no issue no regrets um so I made that decision and then the next day because it was just too physically hard for everyone like they had to make a decision like not like they just couldn't go two days in a row so again I was totally fine with it like like I said like the creator had something in mind for me you know I first time in my life walking in like a bear country with just me and another person like I never thought I would do that I was a guide I called myself I I brought her back I carried her bag for her I like got her back safely. I, I made a fire the first time in my life on my own. I went with a lighter, but um, I did. <laughs> uh, you know, I made soup and I made tea. Like I, these are things that I just never done out in the back country. Um, so I was really proud of myself. Um, that's what happened. And in the end, the like the other ladies, um, four of them got to see the buffalo. And it was such a, like, to share and hear their experience. Um, it was amazing. Um, one of the ladies, she was gifted with a, a song about the buffalo. It was really amazing. We sang that song four times. And it was interesting because it was about calling the buffalo. And on the last day, they really had to make a decision. Do we stay another night and really haul, like, work as hard as we can to get back to our, where we needed to be the very last day? 
because it would have been a hard track. Like it would have been hard to make to cover um, 14 kilometers in a day with the equipment we were carrying. So they said, no, let's not do it. And then when we got back, the park rangers, the park wardens, we happened to meet up with them. They said, you guys, the buffalo came in at 8 a.m. this morning. So (laughs) like what they did, they were only like where we were, they select that base camp. The buffalo made it down from the ridge to that, just like about like 10 minute walk from where we were the day before. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So we were all like, no. (laughs) I mean, in the end, I know like it's all means something. It was a journey. Like everybody was on their own journey. For me, it just means I'll see them another time. So yeah, so that was like just the other week I just got home. So I'm still like just learning and thinking about it. You know, we're super awesome. On Sunday, I'm actually going to Moscow Cheese. So Montana, one of the ladies, her gukum is she said she's she was so inspired by like you guys. She wants to like honor and honor everybody and have a so we're gonna have a feast. So I'm gonna be in Moscow Cheese on Sunday. So they would like to like celebrate our trip and like what we were able, like what we experienced. So I'm really looking forward to that. It is such an inspiration and I'm glad that you're now part of the storytelling. You're bringing these stories back to the communities and you're bringing it back and, and maybe the elders can help you, you ladies figure out what it means because there is, yeah. I do believe that, that there's meaning in everything. And yeah. your journey this time was, was to, to have courage maybe to show that courage and that that's very brave of you folks to do that. And I'm glad you got a chance to see the Buffalo because it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe five years ago that I even knew there were wild horses in, in Alberta. Like it didn't. Mm. And so I did follow the Buffalo story as well as they introduced them and then the cows were born and all these things as well. Right. But to see them, that that is truly something special. So that's, yes. I'm so happy, I'm so happy for you. That makes me happy. <laughs> yes. Now I, was it changed my life because it was like wow I'm like this is what my ancestors felt when they saw buffalo to hunt I was like wow like that's it's like it was like immediate connection like with the buffalo treaty like I'm always gonna be like you said I'm gonna share awareness of it I do use in terms of not use I mean like in terms of planning I talk about this a lot and it's been really well received because it's about land management as well, but working with Indigenous people you know, on this. Like, there's a lot of collaboration on this project. And still, like, really right now, still we, like, we have to make the case. It's not like it's finite forever. We still need to make the case. It needs to be made to government to keep the buffalo there, right? Like, so that's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a project. I don't, like, obviously, I don't see them going anywhere, but that's, like, where we are now. And so I'm always doing what I could to share it, right? And like to share the importance of why you need to plan parks in a way that looks at who's all there, right? The buffalo, you know, indigenous people, indigenous people are hunters too, right? And there's farmers, right? Like there's recreation users. So these are all very important, totally relevant to planning projects. I definitely enjoy uh sharing this in um like both in my profession like with planners but also like like with the community it still shocks me um to hear people say like wow like that's so brave um I was like 
oh, well, I mean, we like, it wasn't that big of a deal. We just, we just went and we looked like, we did a lot of hard, like to me, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's still, um, I love it that we're inspiring people by it. And I know like the way to keep continuing to work on bringing back the Buffaloes, you need to inspire people for them to like feel that connection. And it's such a good story, um, especially for this podcast, because we are telling stories of truth and conciliation. And the Buffalo Treaty is one small step towards uh, a better a better world, a world where we all have a place in it, right? And yes, the, the things that we honor have a place in it too. And it mm. and it's wonderful to hear your journey and how yeah how that that has. The thing of introducing the buffalo has already created ripples. It's created ripples in you and your, mm-hmm. and your friends. And now you're going to go back and create ripples in your community. Um, yeah. The elders are going to take some hope and heart to that. And, and it's going to strengthen spirits and it's going to strengthen community. One day I know I'm going to take my kids and be brave, be guidelines, <laughs> bring my husband because he'll... He'll, he'll be able to like protect us. Um, but, um, but yeah, like one day I do, I want to take my kids to see this, you know, like it is like, I know this is, it's going to be like a lifelong journey to see how, like what, what is going to happen again. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I definitely encourage people to do it and just learn more about it. You're listening to Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm Jessica Vandenberg, my co-host is George Lee, and our guest is Glynis Buffalo. Being a role model for, uh, for girls and Indigenous peoples, and especially Indigenous girls, to pursue professions like yours, uh, and your work uh, with professional development within your association. If you could just talk a little bit about role modeling and what that means to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, for, like for me, being a role model, like every, like I like I didn't do it as on my own, right? Like just as much as in order to like achieve the things that I've been doing is I. It's the people that I can um, look to for guidance, for mentorship, for a shoulder to cry on. Right. Like, so in terms of being a role model, I always encourage people to like find people that they can reach out to, to be that sounding board. Right. To like, like you also need to create that safe space with people who can give you that support. So I know like to be like as a role model, like that's what has why I'm I'm here. Right. There's people that I I can talk to for me also about um, like being, I guess, a role model is that there's other women even from my community that I mentor. So like, I want to like help them as, you know, and guide them and what, you know, their like their vision, their dreams. Um, also like from experience, what did I experience that I know somebody else can, um, you know, might have a, like one of the things I've, I like, as we're growing up, we're always taught, go do mainstream, get your education that's what our story always is. is um, and of course, like a lot of the times it's Western knowledge that you're gaining this from, right? Like Western um, 
science and my degree, like a Bachelor of Science degree, it's a Western science degree. They said, you know, go get, go um, past the reserve plan. I said, there's stuff off the reserve, right? And so I did. I said, okay, I'll go get a job, um, mainstream. And I totally gained a lot of the experience, uh, lots of experience. But I also realized in some of my jobs, all that experience about mainstream was at the expense of not of the loss of not working, collaborating with First Nations. Yeah. Like, like the teacher, like the how I like remember when I was sharing earlier about I really gained teachers when I was working with Indigenous people, like as like my manager. I like I saw like that for me, that was uh, an experience is that if you're going to go work mainstream, make sure you find somewhere, like, as you said, Jessica, that there's allies in a workplace in order to like give you that space to talk about Indigenous people, to like incorporate Indigenous um, values into your workplace. So see, like as men- as a role model and mentorship, that's something I, I really learned. And I probably only learned that recently. Um, so I'm always... Um, really trying to like advocate that's what I would like like that's what I share out is that you know look at what your um for me like personally like I know I couldn't work somewhere if it doesn't involve land if it doesn't involve indigenous people like if it doesn't involve um planning right like I know what I I need to be immersed in in order to like work there I know like as I guess being a role model like that's something I think that's important Part of the role modeling for you, especially when it goes, uh, uh, when it comes to Indigenous kids, kids and young adults and, and anybody, is uh, is being true to themselves and who they are. In what it, so if you go mainstream, go mainstream in a way that is true to your to, to your Indigenous roots. Is that fair to say? Yes, yes. It's like I know, like I mean, there's pros and cons, obviously, to like any job you go. But I know that was something that I really learned. Like. I'm now in a place where I know immersion in Indigenous culture is important for me. Like, that's just what I, I have to be in. And that's one of the teachings I know that I got from um, Lance Scout, one of the Indigenous people from um, in the Calgary area. And he said to me, you got to build your support forest around you. You got to build your support supports um, for the different parts of you that need support yes. whether it's your physical like exactly. a gym or it's your spiritual health or your or your mental or your or your emotional or if it's for your job or for being a mom or being a, a yeah. auntie or whatever you need to build your supports around you and that always sat with me very well and and I think that's the that's where role models fit in role models and mentorship and and I know um as engineers part of our professional development um, is mentorship and passing on our knowledge to other people that's built into. And I know it's very similar for the planners, but even just as community people and Indigenous people and and anybody who comes from strong community, I think they feel that calling to to pass on knowledge to make the path a little smoother for those coming behind, right? Yes, exactly. I think that's important to make sure we can share out how our next generation, of course, is how I feel about like my kids, right? They're going to live a totally different experience than what I, I've learned. So I just think that's really important about role modeling is setting, setting that up for them. This has been a fantastic discussion with you, Glynis. And so thank you so much for being part of this um, and letting us 
hear your, and blessing us with your stories and especially the Buffalo one. I'm going to think on that one too for a while, I think. Thank you. I definitely appreciate it. Thank you for thinking about me, Jessica. And uh, yeah, I look forward. I look forward to um, like our, our moving forward, how we move forward. So thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate this. You're welcome. I mean, yeah, it's, that's how we do it, right? We help each other. We think of each other and, and I do think of you a lot. Um, I appreciate all the conversations we've ever had for sure. Yes, likewise, for sure. And if there's anything uh, you think of, of uh, someone you think we should talk to or suggestions mm. we have for future shows, um, and if you want to be on again sometime, if there's some new project you're involved in that you want to mm-hmm. discuss sometime with us, you're, you have an open invitation. Okay, I'll call you guys at 3 a.m. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation is a production of Features West Studios in Edmonton. Co-hosts are Jessica Vandenberg and me, George Lee. Music written and performed by Kevin John, a musician and luthier living in the West Kootenai region of British Columbia, and also a proud member of the Cayuca Chetlazit First Nation on Vancouver Island. Logo conceived and designed by Corrine Riedel and Sandy Brown Van Dam. Many thanks to our Episode 5 guest, Glynis Buffalo. You can find this episode and previous episodes too through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other providers. Remember to like us on Facebook. This episode dropped in mid-January 2021, but the interview itself took place in the fall of 2020. That makes some of the COVID and other references outdated. Regardless, let's all roll up our sleeves, or at least one sleeve when the time comes, and stop the spread of this virus. Have a great 2021.